Welcome to Her Story, Ireland's Epic Women, a podcast dedicated to the women that shaped our history. This podcast is brought to you by Underground Films, Epic the Irish Emigration Museum, HerStory.ie and RTE, ahead of our TV series, Her Story, Ireland's Epic Women and RTE in Spring 2020. This podcast is hosted by Dr. Angela Byrne with additional storytelling from Tall Tales Podcasts. Content for this episode comes from Dr. Angela Byrne. Lacquer master, modernist furniture designer and modernist architect Eileen Gray lived in Paris for most of her life. She moved there in 1907 when the city was a hotspot for writers and artists. But she was too modest and perhaps even too shy to break into those bohemian circles. She deservedly gained a reputation as the finest Western exponent of the Japanese lacquer technique and later was internationally acclaimed as a pioneering furniture designer and self-taught architect. Gray was born into comfortable circumstances in County Wexford and, as a child, adored her artist father. She was raised between Wexford and Kensington. In 1905, she enrolled in London's fashionable Slade School, where Constance Gorbuth also studied, and dedicated herself to Japanese lacquer technique. The laborious process of applying 20 layers of lacquer one by one in a humid room over the course of three days demands extraordinary patience, and the toxic substance can cause a painful skin rash. In 1972, her lacquer screen, Le Destin, attracted a record price for 20th century furniture, catapulting the reticent modernist back into the international limelight after decades in the shadows. Her response to the sale was characteristically self-effacing. She said, set absurd. While she did not break into Paris's dazzling anglophone literary and artistic circles, she did find flamboyant company. Her friend Jessie Gavin regularly donned men's clothing so that the two of them could go, in Eileen's words, to places you can't go without a man. In the first two decades of the 20th century, Paris was the artistic centre of the avant-garde. Fauvism, Cubism, Futurism, the Russian avant-garde, de style and surrealism, coupled with a rejection of academic tradition, made artists and designers question traditional picture-making and sculpture techniques through other media. Gray's art student years at the Slade, the École Colorossi and the Académie Julienne were pivotal to so many aspects of her future work, especially her lacquer work and her carpet designs. Both mediums continued to demonstrate her painterly skills. It was during these formative years that Gray met many of her artistic circles, artists, writers, sculptors, photographers, theorists and philosophers, who would have had a profound influence on her developing ideas. Gray regrettably destroyed most of her artwork during her student period, with the exception of a very competent figurative study, which dates approximately to 1903. This sketch shows the muscles, ligaments, a rib cage, body organs and a right side profile of a woman. Her talent as an artist was apparent after she had a painting, Dernier Rayon de Soleil d'une belle journée, received at the Salon des Artistes François au Grand Palais. Her Parisian life was turned upside down with the outbreak of war in 1914. 
she packed her Japanese lacquer master and their unfinished pieces of work into her car and drove to London. But wartime London was no place to sell expensive furniture and her work was not to British taste. She returned to Paris and in 1923, the Salon des Artistes exhibited an entire room of her work. This was a major turning point. It was her first full-scale exhibition and was acclaimed in the press. The publicity led friends to encourage her to take up architecture. Her love of the Mediterranean coast seems to have developed when she convalesced from typhoid there in the early 1900s. And it was there that she chose to build her celebrated white cubist home known as E1027 in 1926-29. The house's name is testament to the help that Gray received from young Romanian architect Jan Badovici. The letter E for Eileen, the number 10 for the letter J in Jean, the number 2 for the letter B in Badovici, and the number 7 for the letter G in Gray. Each room of the house has its own external space because, in Eileen's own words, there must be still the impression of being alone and, if desired, entirely alone. Gray wrote in the 1929 issue of L'Architecture Vivante, One must build for the human being that he might rediscover in the architectural construction the joys of self-fulfilment in a whole that extends and completes him. Even the furnishings should lose their individuality by blending in with the architectural ensemble. The website Friends of E1027 is dedicated to telling the historical story of the building. E1027 was built on an isolated stretch of the French Riviera on the western side of Cap Martin, overlooking the Bay of Monaco. She chose this site for the beauty of its views and built the house directly into the terrain. Wishing to build a house that interacted with the natural elements surrounding it, she carefully studied the wind and the angles of the sun at different times of the day and year, and in this way was able to build a structure with a constant evolving relationship with the sun, the wind and the sea. Gray designed the house so that the inside and the outside flowed together. Not only does every room give out to a balcony, but the shutters, screens and windows are all movable, allowing the inhabitant to harmoniously engage with the sea and the hills surrounding the villa. The house was designed as a maison minimum, simple and efficient, with areas of built-in furniture and no wasted space. The main level of the house consists of a large open living room, a study bedroom, a kitchen and a bath. The lower level consists of a large covered sitting area, a guest bedroom, maid's quarters and a WC. On the roof, she built a garden that included an outdoor kitchen connected to the interior kitchen and a small area for sunbathing. While E1027 was a modern movement house and employed many of the key tenants of the movement's chief architect, Gray took issue with Le Corbusier, who famously felt that the house is a machine to live in. Rather, she described the house as a living organism, an extension of the human experience, stating that it is not a matter of simply constructing beautiful ensembles of lines, but above all, dwellings for people. Formulas are nothing, she insisted. Life is everything. Her concern for solitude is revealing. She was extremely private, and before her death, she burned most of her personal papers. P. 
Peter Adam, author of her most reliable and complete biography, states that Eileen had had a series of affairs with men and women and never settled with any one long-term partner. She was unafraid to be considered improper or eccentric for her desire to live independently. In an interview with the journal in 2015, Jennifer Goff commented on Eileen's lifestyle and desire for privacy. People say, oh, she was a lesbian, she was bisexual, but everyone was at that time, said Goff. Many of her male and female friends were bisexual. Goff also discovered that Gray had a crisis of confidence in her work and would often leave projects unfinished. She discovered hundreds of unrealised architectural plans drafted by Gray. It was kind of shocking, she said. One of her closest friends was Louise Danny, who worked as her maid from 1927 until Gray's death in 1976. During the Second World War, resident aliens were forbidden to live on the coast, so Danny accompanied Gray to her new temporary inland residence. They returned to E1027 to find it looted and stripped bare. Gray slowly rebuilt the house, completing it in 1953. Some of Gray's most famous pieces of furniture were designed to complement E1027. She created a tea trolley with a cork surface to reduce the rattling of cups, another trolley for taking a gramophone outside, and the famous E1027 table with adjustable height to suit different situations. The table was designed so that the user can actually eat breakfast in bed without getting crumbs on the sheets. The house contained the transat chair, which is similar in shape to a deck chair, but elevated for everyday use. The bibendum, another armchair, looks like two squishy tubes and looks to comfortably engulf the sitter. Gray also built a series of cupboards and storage units with consideration for such things as for the way the light might fall on its contents, the integration of electrical fittings and radiators, and the way the drawers might open on a corner. Interestingly, she also positioned mirrors in such a way that you could see the back of your head. After many years of neglect and isolation, restoration work on E1027 started after 2000 with emergency restorations completed in 2006. Additional restorations took place between 2006 and 2010 under the state-appointed architect Pierre-Antoine Gautier, who restored many important elements, including the façade, the windows and the Corbusier murals. Further restoration work was done in conjunction with the film shoots of The Price of Desire and Grey Matters in 2014. E1027 reopened to the public in 2016 and is currently open from May to October. This show was brought to you by Underground Films, Epic the Irish Emigration Museum, HerStory.ie and RTE. Mixed and produced by Cassia Talltales Podcasts and presented by Dr. Angela Byrne. If you like this story, subscribe for more on iTunes and Spotify and check out our TV series, Her Story, Ireland's Epic Women on RTE in Spring 2020. Her Story's score composed by Scott Marr and Oshin Murray.